Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. So open your Bibles, would you, to 2 Kings chapter 11 and Acts chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 11 and Acts chapter 6 in a Bible study that I've entitled, God Uses the Usable. God Uses the Usable. In our study last time in 2 Kings 11, we met young King Joash, or some translations have it translated Jehoahash, uh, and he was protected as a baby and then presented as king at seven years old. Now, of course, as a king at seven years old, he would have handlers that would be there for him, but because of his bloodline, he is the king. And one of the things we learn as we turn our attention back to this young king is that God is working behind the scenes, arranging things for his purposes. That as he's working behind the scenes to accomplish his will upon the throne of Judah, we don't always see the hand of God. Like right now, what you're facing and what's going on in your life, God is at work. He hasn't stopped working. He isn't idle in your life, even though you don't see his hand or you don't see how the pieces are going to come together or you're not quite sure how it's all going to work. God is at work. And it's always right and good to wait on the Lord because in the frustration of not seeing specifically what God is doing, we become impatient And there are enough people in this room today or enough people surrounding our lives that have made great errors in their impatience that could give you the testimony of wait on the Lord. It's not just the biblical mandate, although it is, but also in a practical way, it's important to wait on the Lord because impatience will cause you to make a lot of bad decisions, especially when you're frustrated. And it was in the lives here in 2 Kings 11, in the lives of a married couple, Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat, that God chose to move. Just one couple. It wasn't an army of people. It was just one couple. Notice with me again in verse 1 of chapter 11. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. And he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. And it was in the seventh year that (laughs) Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from him in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Six years pass. And it seems like nothing is happening. And yet in this husband and wife, God is preparing them for this moment. This man and woman woman was committed to the things of the Lord, and God used them. Why? Well, because God uses those that are available to him, those that make themselves available to him. And all it takes is one or two 
Submit it to him. And, and what we found over the years is that it's one, two, four, eight, sixteen. That's how the body of Christ works. And yet, if there's 500 servants or 10,000 servants, it's still just one at a time. It's what does God want to do in your life? Remember, jot it down in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. It says, I also heard the word of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, don't send me. No, that's not what it says. Isaiah cries out, here I am, send me. Now those of you that have been here for a while, you know by now that the vision, the direction of our church, the reason why God created Calvary Chapel Aurora some 19 years ago is really just one word, it's evangelism. It's connecting people with people with the sake of the gospel in order to see lives change. Because when lives change, families change. And when families change, kids change. And when kids change, neighborhoods change. And when neighborhoods change, cities change. And on and on it goes. God is still at work today. And in our heart to share the gospel in all avenues of our lives, it comes with our responsibility to win a person to Jesus Christ, disciple them in Jesus, and to send them out. And you're a part of a church that is constantly sending people out. Sometimes it's a very formal thing where you'll even see, as we saw recently on the, on the stage this weekend, where we're sending out someone to New Mexico. Uh, we're formally sending them out. Other times it's a job move. Other times it's the military. Other times it's a stirring. Other times, even on occasion, it's somebody leaves and gets sent out and it's actually not a real good thing at all. Uh, it's one of those things like Paul and Barnabas. Remember when they had to separate? You wish it didn't happen, but it does. And yet, even when Paul and Barnabas separate, now you have two men in two different directions with the gospel so that even in disagreements, God still gets the glory, even in man's weaknesses. And so whether it's something really formal and we're excited about it, whether it's something really informal, whether it's good, whether it's bad, God is always moving upon us to send and to move. And it doesn't always mean sending means you leave the church because in just a few minutes, when our Bible study is done and we close in prayer and we have our final song of worship to be deposited in our hearts for the rest of the week, everyone's going to be sent out of this building. You're going to go into the market. You're going to go get something to eat. You're going to go home. You're going to head into work in the morning. Some of you are going to head into work tonight being sent with the gospel. The church isn't just within the four walls of a building. And there were times in, our, in our, the life of our church where we could literally say that our church wasn't a building because we didn't have a building to, to meet in. We rented other people's buildings. And then over time, God gave us our more permanent place, but we always have to be reminded the permanent place is not the church. It's just a building. One day when we vacate this building and we move on to something else, someone else is gonna move into this building. It could be a medical offices. It could be, you know, they could tear it down and put a strip mall here. It's just a building. But while we're here and while God owns this building, this property is dedicated to the use of God. This corner in Aurora is a dedicated piece of dirt unto the Lord. But the dirt comes alive when those that were, came from the dust shows up filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything comes alive when you show up. When you and I, the church, come, we also are sent constantly. It constantly happens. 
You can actually look at yourself and think of your own life as constantly being sent with the gospel. It, it cannot be, church, that we give God our leftovers, that we give him what's left after everything else, where we, we have everything flipped upside down, where we're after whatever it is we're into and where we give this our best energy and we give this our best thought. And then, you know, whatever is left over, I think I'll offer that to God. But rather, Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will fall into place. But if you chase after all these other things that he says, and he describes it as the Gentiles do, which is really just saying, look at the world and what they're into. They're not into the things of God. But if they chose to be into the things of God, then they could actually enjoy this world even more than they think they do right now. It has to be God first. Our lives need to be available to him today, right now. Just like this couple, where they were ready, even though they didn't know the significance, I believe, of all that God was going to do through this young king, they were ready one step at a time. So that brings us to Acts chapter six with that couple in mind to encourage you to make yourself available to God to make yourself available for the service of God. You can begin by doing that within the life of your own church family. You can look at yourself as a servant of God in your home, as a boss, as a business owner, as an employee, as you're delivering things during the week. You know, sometimes you might even come to this place where you think you're insignificant to the plan of God, where God uses other people. And you might even make this this comparison within the church and you see a pastor you go well you know I'm not like you pastor but but in many ways you're probably better than that pastor in many ways you're probably more gifted in other areas than that pastor and the bible says that we make a foolish mistake and I'm paraphrasing when we compare ourselves with other people because we are who we are by the will of God and we're not to be comparing, well, you know, I wish I was so-and-so. Okay, so as you're, as you're thinking that, I, wanna, I wish I was so-and-so, let me just uh, give you the bad news or the good news. You'll never be so-and-so. So it's a waste of time. There are principles that you can pick up in someone's life where they might be a good example or you might be a good example to others, but only, you, you've gotta learn to pick up the principles because you will utterly fail if you try to copy someone. There is no true copy of anyone. Even to the point where, you know, there was that time, I think it was a great uh, effort, you know, when they were selling those wristbands and what would Jesus, WWJ, what would Jesus do? And it was like, like an emphasis to copy Jesus, but you don't need to copy Jesus. All you need to do is yield to the Holy Spirit and Jesus will literally live his life through you as you just, he will lead you and guide you and encourage you. And you'll just be so frustrated if you try to copy him. You'll be so frustrated if you try to do in your own strength what only God can do through you. And you are significant to the plan of God. You're significant to the plan of God in this church, in this community. Now, in Acts chapter 6, the church is growing. Notice with me in verse 1. Now, in those days when the number of the disciples, what does your Bible say? Multiplying. This was rapid growth, multiplying. And there are always those, times, always those times among the church where God is adding, where God is subtracting, but then there's those dynamic times when God multiplies, when it's rapid growth. Rapid growth both in number and in need. Remember that. Whenever there's growth in number, there will always be growth in need. They go together. 
Whenever there's growth in numbers, there will also be a growth in difficulties, in discipleship opportunities. I mean, we could call them difficulties, but in reality, they're just discipleship opportunities, helping someone grow in the things of God, helping them begin to see life from the perspective of God. That's really what discipleship is, teaching the Bible and what it means to live out the life of Jesus within us. And so here they are multiplying, And notice, with the multiplying, there arose a murmuring against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may, we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And notice verse 7. And the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So with multiplication comes murmuring, comes difficulties, and comes opportunity. It all depends on how you look at it. An opportunity to step up to the challenge of God, to serve the people of God, especially when there is neglect among the people of God. Because that's, you know, when when larger groups start to gather, for sure there will be neglect, whether it's on, whether it's by accident or, you know, somebody's just in the flesh and they're not paying attention and they're not serving properly. Um, You know how things go in your life. Sometimes you get so caught up in yourself, you're not caring about anyone else. And when you're so caught up in yourself, not caring about anyone else, you're gonna neglect people that God had in store for you in that moment and why you're even here. And why you would even gather with other people. So you might encourage them and build them up. And so in the neglect, the leaders decide to do the right thing. And they did two things. Number one, they stuck to what they were called to do. They stuck to what they were called to do. They were focused, the 12, which is a reference to the apostles, their responsibility was to pray and study the word of God for the teaching of the word of God. That, that was where their two main focuses. To pray and study the word. Preparation for their role in discipleship, which which was teaching. Their role was teaching and leading. And so they made a wise decision because I've met many, many pastors. I've even fallen into that trap myself where pastors see the needs and they want to meet all the needs. And for a while they can do that, but not very long because the needs always outweigh what one man can do. He can't pray, study the word of God, uh, help with the distribution, run over and fix this and run over and fix that. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand that in the disciple or in the apostle's decision here that their decision was no longer to serve or to find an easier place for them. It was simply, this is what we are called to do and we cannot be diverted from it because if we are diverted from it, then the whole ministry will suffer. All the people will suffer because of their role. It would be very similar to you in your home, you know, that that your children only have one mom. And if you are distracted from being the one mom that God has called you to be, then your whole family's gonna suffer. 
Or dads, same thing. Or husbands, wives, same thing. In your role as a single, if, you're devo- if you are distracted from that time and singleness where you can devote yourself completely to the things of the Lord, and you're distracted from it, you're distracted from the calling of God in your life right now, then, then you too, all those around you will suffer because you want to be focused on what God's called you to do. So that's the first thing. The second one was the needs can be met by the people, the people within the body. And I believe that every single need here at Calvary Aurora can be met by the people that are already at Calvary Aurora. Or God will bring them soon enough. (laughs) That God is raising up. This is one of those places where you see God raising up from within. That they didn't put an ad out on Craigslist. We have this need and we need some logistical, perfect logistical engineers to take care of this. But instead, they asked among the church. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to walk you through a list of things that they're looking for that are very accessible to you and to me. A few ingredients of the men and women that God used. Number one, God uses men and women that are saved, or you could say born again. God uses men and women in the church that are born again. Until a person is saved, the work of God is not through them, but to them. Do you get this? God is not going to be using someone in his church that isn't saved. That's why it frustrates me to no end. Even though it's not my responsibility, but the new trend as of late in the last five, six years, maybe even longer, but I picked up on it. The new trend in churches is to have unbelievers fill spots throughout the church. The most prominent place that unbelievers are given prominence in the church is on the stage in the worship team. That there are literally churches around town that entrust the leading of worship into the heavenlies to unbelievers. Now, I was first introduced to this concept way back in the day when I was in California working. My, my office buddy, I shared an office with him. Uh, he was sharing with me what he did on the weekends. And he actually went around leading worship at four or five different churches. And he was as unsaved as you could possibly think. But he was talented. And they wanted talent on the stage. And because they wanted talent on the stage, they would pay for it. And, you know, if that ever got, you know, if, if it ever got to the place where we didn't have any worship leaders here and the only option were unbelievers and Ed, I'm choosing Ed. You probably won't like it, but at least a believer is going to lead you in worship. We, we, I would rather have, uh, you know, we, the philosophy is simply this. Um, if we don't have people to fill ministries... We don't have ministries because the emphasis in church is very simple. Just teach the Bible, love people, and we don't need any other ministries. We don't even need the children's ministries as valuable as it is because, you know, next time you guys go down to thank your kids or to pick up your kids, you should thank them too because they're pretty cool. But if you thank the Sunday, you should thank the Sunday school teachers because the children's ministry, taking the gospel and getting it down on their level provides an environment like this so that we could study the Bible uh, without distraction or very little distraction because when we have the kiddos up here like on those big family services well you know how it is kids are kids and they're just going to be kids you know I could probably keep their attention for about 10 seconds and then they're done and and so children's ministry is very valuable but even if we didn't have Sunday school teachers 
we would just have the kids in here and we'd just pray that the Lord would keep their attention. But we're definitely not going to put unbelievers down there teaching your kids the Bible, I'll tell you that. Or anybody with your kids that we don't know, that we haven't run a background check on and that we don't haven't seen serve and be around and know their families. We're not going to do that. We don't need any of these ministries. But we're grateful to have them. And however there's a need, we'll always look from within and they must be saved. It seems like a no-brainer, but unfortunately, because of the trend and the movement in the church at large today, a lot of unbelievers are getting prominence and they shouldn't. Number two, God uses the person that's flexible. God uses the person that is saved, number one, and number two is flexible. And sometimes God does a work in the church that's glorious and wonderful. It's a, it's a, a work of increase, but also God does a work of blessed subtractions from time to time. And we need to be open to the subtractions of God as much as the additions of God, as much as the multiplications of God. It's his church, and he will do what he wants to do in his church. And we need to be just as excited about subtractions as we are multiplications. If it's his church, then we just need to trust that he's going to move his people around. And, you know, we're, we're not, I'm not entirely interested in having a church filled with people from other churches. I want to see people here that are your friends and your neighbors and your family that aren't saved and get saved here and get discipled here and grow. Now, I'm not opposed to whatever God wants to do in bringing people, but it doesn't make me so excited that our church gets filled with people from other churches. I want to see the, I want to see the lost saved. I know you do too. And, and so we aren't, we aren't in any competition with churches in town. Uh, if another church in town is growing 10 times faster than us, we only should have one response. That's awesome. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful that churches are growing. I wish all the churches in town would grow. I, I wish we would have overflow services and multiple buildings and all kinds of things happening in the city. I, I wish on the, on the way into church on Sunday, there were 100 times more cars on the road. I wish there was more people out not watering their lawn or mowing their lawn, but getting ready for church, man, and heading out and worshiping. And I I love that. But we have to be flexible. Sometimes God's going to increase, we rejoice. Sometimes God's going to decrease, we rejoice. It's his church. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. We need to be flexible. Pastor Chuck Smith used to teach us And it's so valid. He would say, blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. And when you're so rigid and unbendable, you're just going to snap at the latest issue. And and as you you see the life of our church, stuff's always going on. Um, Even in our staff meeting today, as we're going all the logistics of what this weekend's going to look like, I mean, if any of us chose to be all rigid in that meeting, we would have snapped by that meeting. It was two and a half hours of all this stuff. You, you know, and we do all this stuff in the background so that when you show up to something, you don't need to worry about anything but serving Jesus. We'll take care of all the stuff in the background and even take care of stuff while the events are going. But you know, we're thinking of, man, those 100 pastors are going to be here on, on Friday morning. We're thinking about all those young people that want to learn how to study the Bible. We're thinking about making sure this is in order and that's in order and, and just being open and flexible. I think the words were flexible, observant, and ready to serve. And, and if you're not flexible, then serving God's going to be very difficult for you because God can be very unpredictable as he leads us in ministry. And so here they are going up and down, and as they're facing this problem, and this murmuring arises, 
the murmuring primarily came from an inflexibility because it would have been easy for others to jump in and help instead of complain. And, and that's always a barrier to serving God is when you're complaining, you are not helping the situation. I don't see anybody writing that down. Write that down. That should be, that should be a new tattoo. When I complain, I'm not helping anything. I'm actually making it worse when I complain. Because number one, the issue isn't solved. And number two, you're making it harder. Because if you saw the issue and you have the solution, then the right thing to do is to bring up the issue and offer your solution and begin to pray about it. But when's the last time complaining and murmuring ever led to anything productive? Now, somebody might have responded to your murmuring and complaining with a productive decision, but it wasn't because of you. If you would have come in love and mercy, hey, you know, I just heard over here that the widows are arguing about each other. I think, um, you know, if we ask the guys in the church, I bet you we could find people to help. That's very different than, I can't believe this church, no, these apostles, what happened? They were so good with Jesus, but now that Jesus is gone, they're not even paying attention to us, and we're being neglected, and nobody cares. And there was even a racial issue that needed to be dealt with with this, between the Hellenists and, you know, between the Hebrews and the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. And so there was a language issue, a racial issue, and murmuring and complaining doesn't help. It makes things worse. Number three. God uses those men and women that are filled with the Holy Spirit. We see that uh, here in verse 3. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. It also can be translated controlled by the Holy Spirit. This isn't referring to an emotional experience or some outward demonstrative action of the Holy Spirit. It speaks of a person that's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Someone that is recognized as a man or a woman living out the fruit of the Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And the reason so many of our endeavors and attempts to do the work of God fail is because we try to do them in the energy of our own strength, our own flesh. And so often the church is trying to do the work of God through earthly and worldly means and it won't see God's success. And we have to be careful, especially us as leaders, to make sure our definitions of success remain in the realm of the spirit and not the flesh. Success in God's eyes, really if I had to reduce it to one word, it's faithfulness. It's faithfulness. You know, for a pastor, he might, he might look at his church and say, well, you know, there's only 20 people here and, and I'm just a failure, but God's ordained 20 people to be there and he came and he served them well and in God's eyes, he's an absolute success. You know, think of Jeremiah. If Jeremiah, uh, if he looked at his life, the prophet Jeremiah, and he looked at his life and came to the conclusion that he was a failure, he would be wrong. Because as we read the book of Jeremiah today, even though he didn't, have a one, he didn't have one convert from his preaching, not one convert, imagine that, preaching his whole life with strong prophetic word, anointed by God, speaking on behalf of God, but nobody responded positively, I think we would all be tempted to think we were failures, but in God's eyes, he was 100% successful. He did exactly what God wanted him to do, and the results are always left to God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who God uses 
It's not by might, Zechariah 4, 6. It's not by might, not by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's not by our human endeavors. As smart as we can be and how much knowledge we might have. As a matter of fact, the danger of knowledge is that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, makes a person prideful. It has the potential to make a person prideful where you have a little bit more knowledge than someone else and you want everyone to know you have more knowledge than someone else. The Bible says knowledge puffs up, but it's love that builds up. And so as we're gaining knowledge, reading the Bible, taking courses, maybe going to school, we have to always temper it by love. Knowledge always must flow through love in order to edify, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number four, we're also to be filled with wisdom filled with wisdom. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. Wisdom is the natural byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the study of his word, of the Bible. Wisdom comes as God's word fills your life. Wisdom comes as you learn by God, how to use the knowledge that he's given you. So for example, um, in John 3, 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will not uh, see the kingdom of God. That's knowledge. So you, great, you have that in verse and you have that knowledge. In order to walk in wisdom, you would take that verse and say, am I born again? Am I born again? Because if, if I'm not born again, then I'm on the opposite side of what Jesus is teaching. And so then you respond to the gospel and you're born again. Another step of wisdom would be, are you born again? Because now you're using the scriptures. You're not just saying, I know how to be saved. Really? I know exactly what Jesus meant. And this is what it was like to be a Hebrew man living in the first century. And these are the exact clothes that Jesus wore. And his beard was exactly this long. And I know how it was when he was speaking to Nicodemus. And I was there. I got a drone footage of that. And I know everything about the Hebrew word and the little jot and the little tail. I'm so smart. But are you born again, bro? No, but I'm smart. And knowledge is like that. We need to be filled with wisdom. There's this movement of fresh among us today of this pseudo-intellectualism where you just want to sound like you know a little bit more than someone else when the meat of the Bible is life change. And if you come to the Bible over and over and over again and you leave your prayer closet over and over and over again and you are unchanged, you are just living in the realm of knowledge in the flesh. It's only knowledge in the flesh and it puffs you up. And I don't mean knowledge where you can make your argument better. And, and I mean, because I've sat down with people and they are so much smarter than me. I have no problem acknowledging that. So much smarter, so much well, so well educated. And they've got a pet doctrine. That's how all they do is study this doctrine, this doctrine. So I sit down with them and they're just going to, they just unload on me. And, and I have to say, there's a part of me like, man, I... I don't spend like 40 hours a week studying that one doctrine. Like I'm at the hospital visiting people. I'm, I'm with staff meeting. I'm preparing for pastors. Like I, got, I can't spend 40, 50 hours and I'll just walk away going, well, you know, I just don't believe what you believe. And, uh, and then I'll walk away going, man, I feel so dumb. But then by the time I get home, it's like the Lord says, it's okay Ed, if you're dumb. You keep doing what I called you to do. <laughs> it's okay. Because if I stay dumb in the flesh, then I can be really wise in the spirit. And that's the same with you. 
You've got to be filled with wisdom. You've got to live out the word, not just know it. I know you're adding to this, you know, in Stephen's great message, later on in the book of Acts, you could see, because he's one of the guys that was chosen here, you could see what wealth of the Bible was in this man and how on the spot he was able to use it in a way that pricked the hearts and brought his own martyrdom. We need wisdom, especially with dealing with people. When you're dealing with people, hurting people, people that need counsel, people that need you in their lives, a situation like this where there's some kind of conflict in the church and you're the tool that God wants to use, they don't need your knowledge. They need God's wisdom. And you and I just need to be filled with wisdom, open to the Spirit. Number five, we skipped it, but I want to come back to it. Number five, you need to be a man or a woman of a good reputation. A good reputation. What does your life look like to others? First Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says... Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are on the outside. The idea here is that we need to be a witness as much as we need to witness. Our lives need to verify what we say is on our lips. The greatest enemy of the church today, it's been said, is the church. So many contradictions going on among us in the body of Christ. When we fall into sin, God forgives us, but also remember that we lose our reputation. Like, I, I, God is quick to forgive. Others, not so much. You lose credibility with someone. It takes a long time, if not forever, to build back that trust. Trust is the glue that keeps us together and helps us deliver the word of God into your life. Not only does sin hurt the heart of God, but it also places doubts in the hearts of those around us. Like, like the prophet Nathan said to David, David told Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You will not die. However, listen to what Nathan says. Because of of this deed, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've given occasion for enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. One of the topics that that I I share with and I expect the pastors to share with those that serve with them is the topic of gossip and confidentiality because confidentiality is such an important uh, ingredient in relationship building. It has the very essence of trust. Uh, if people can't trust you uh, and they don't trust you, then you'll never be able to affect their life. And, and broken trust is very difficult. And, and so confidence, confidentiality comes from the word confidence and it simply just means that when someone shares something with you, they have confidence in you that you won't tell anyone else. You know, except for the sake of things that need to be told. Like if you confess some, something, uh, you share with something that needs to be reported to the police, you know, we're going to report it to the police. Or something that needs to be dealt with uh, with the law, of something with a child or something. We're not going to keep that in confidence. We're going to uh, involve the right authorities. Um, so confidentiality is more along the lines of personal relationships. And then if, that's why, you know, when somebody gets taken advantage of, they call that person that did it a con man. Have you heard that phrase? Why? Because that man gained confidence to take advantage of another person. And it's the exact opposite in the church. What's your reputation like? And so when we talk about that, the way that we summarize that whole conversation says, do you know what confidentiality means? We have that. And then the the summary of that question is, if we asked your friends, is so-and-so a gossip, what would they say? Because that's really the essence. And you really know that you have a proclivity toward gossip. This is just a side note in terms of being filled with wisdom and a good reputation. 
You know that you have a bent toward gossip when people come to you sharing gossip all the time. You know you have a proclivity toward gossip when you're surrounded with people that gossip to you. You know, to me, uh, I saw this quote once. It said something like, um, I'm not interested what somebody told you about me. I'm not interested what they said about me. I'm only interested why they were comfortable telling you. Why in our relationship, I thought it was a great quote, why in our relationship somebody that wants to destroy my character or wants to destroy my life will come to you and be comfortable? Why are they comfortable around you to talk about me? Chew on that one for a while. That's like a nugget. Like think about your relationships. Why, why would someone be so comfortable to hear gossip about you? Why aren't we just shutting it down and pointing them to the Lord and, that, and demanding that they repent? Don't you think gossip would stop pretty quickly? But here's what happens, you know, in order to retain some kind of, you know, well, what, what will they think about me? Or I might lose a friend. I don't, I don't need to be surrounded with so-called friends that gossip and live in sin. Number six, God uses the person that's faithful, the person that does what they're called, what they've been asked to do. Here's men filled with wonderful spiritual qualities, distributing clothes to, to complaining widows. I mean, these are men that are going to be raised up to high levels of ministry and responsibility. And what are they doing? They're ministering to complaining widows. Why? Because faithfulness is essential. They could have just said, I don't want this. I'm not doing this. I'm called to greater things. I'm called to be a teacher, an evangelist, a missionary. You could almost hear it. I am not called to give out clothes. You laugh, but I tell you, man, I've met many, many people. Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I just think I'm called to the ministry. Where do you want me to go? Well, I think they need some help out in the parking lot picking up trash. And while their voices, and I've never had anyone change their voice, their face sure does change. <laughs> Pick up trash? Okay. <laughs> and yet, if we don't pick up the trash, who's going to do it? If we don't take out the trash, is there like only a certain group of people that's qualified that it should be taken? Like, we're not the world where we work our way up. We're the church where we work our way down. That's what Jesus said. The way up is actually down. So that picking up trash is just as essential as teaching a Bible study in the realm of faithfulness. And you go, well, Ed, what, you know, who am I going to meet picking up trash? I don't know, but people cross our parking lot all the time. People hop the fence all the time. People smoking dope right, on the, right, right over here. You come early on Sunday morning, all the little vials of alcohol and stuff that gets thrown all over the property. There are people all over the property all the time. And you might just meet them if you pick up trash or you mop or you pick up you know, leaves or whatever else that God would have us to do. Here they are ministering to complaining ladies. It could be the same complaining men. It doesn't matter. It's not I'm not called. It's God, what do you have me to do? I'm ready to serve you. Not trying to get out of things, but rather looking for more things to do. And when I'm asked to do something, I do it. That's faithfulness. It's what every parent wants from their kids. Amen? Anybody? Amen? We should be teaching this downstairs. Every parent wants from their kids faithfulness. 
Go clean your room. That does not mean hide everything under the bed and in the closet. That's not what it means. We, every parent wants faithfulness from their kids. Every pastor wants faithfulness under the Lord. Every leader wants to be faithful. We need to be faithful. Some have aspirations for great things. They want to be pastors and teachers and church planners and such. But they don't want to teach kids or take care of little things. They want to be great and mighty missionaries, but they have a hard time going across the street to share the gospel with their neighbor. Let me just say, those of you that have great aspirations for being a missionary, it will not get, if you can't share the gospel with your neighbor, it ain't going to get easier when you move to another country and you have a different culture, all alone, different food, different everything. If you're having a hard time doing it here, it's not going to get any easier. It's going to be much more challenging. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, who has despised the days of small things? I've just met too many that have despised the days of, of small things or the months of small things or the years of small things. And I would just say in one sense that there's really no small thing when it comes to the things of God. I know there's proportionate, but, and then there's times when we have less and then we have more. I, I get that. But anything you do for God matters. It's a seed planet of righteousness. It, it matters. If you're unfaithful right now, if you cannot be faithful now, don't expect God to bring more responsibilities into your life. And it happens in the church all the time. Commitments will be made, people don't show up. They'll sign on the dotted line where we have this event, we need these 10 people and three people show up. I just know for those that don't show up, those that aren't faithful, man, God's gonna be working on you. We're not gonna chase you down, but we're going to pray for you because it's going to be hard when you are not faithful. And when I'm not faithful, it's going to be hard. Number seven, almost done. God uses the person that's available. Available. As the church went looking for help, one of the men that they found was Stephen. And one, another was Philip and Nicanor. They were available it's easy to want to serve the Lord, but in order to serve God, you need to make yourself available to him. You need to be available, like, like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. It can't be, well, you know, God, I'll just give you whatever I have, and you know, I'll serve when I, but if you make yourself available, then you'll have more than you can possibly have in serving people. When you make yourself available to the Lord. Number eight, we also need to be teachable. Teachable. In order to teach, you need to learn how to be taught in a variety of different ways, not just in Bible study, but you need to be learned how to taught by life's experiences. You need to learn how to be taught by, by putting in situations that require love and surrender. In Psalm 25, verse 4, it says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Today, in one of the questions on the radio, the Lord just really impressed upon me to to remind everyone that was listening in that, that one of the things that's lacking among us as believers is the ability to carefully answer questions dealing with the person and not with the problem. Like we're, we've lost the ability to nuance, the nuance of answering questions where we're so quick with our opinion and so quick with the answer but we don't spend any time getting to know the person. We don't spend any time getting their backstory. We don't spend any time going, well, how did you get to, you know, they show up and they're jacked up and broken. And so we're all, oh, they're jacked up and broken. What's happening? You know, you need to repent, which is true. But how did they get so jacked up and broken? 
What happened to them? What's their story? Sin destroys people. People aren't just a problem. You know, there's no book in, the, in our bookstore when it reopens. There's no book that says, here are 10 problems and here are the exact answers to give to every person in these problem areas. There's no book like that. But the Holy Spirit, and it, and it just reminded me, you remember when Jesus, when Jesus had that woman that was caught in the midst of adultery thrown down before her, um, before him? He, I mean, it was obvious. This was a sinning woman. She was caught in the act. Like, like there was no question how messed up this gal was. And so what did Jesus do? Give her a theological study on adultery? Make sure she understood how bad she was? Find out exactly how she was caught? What she was into? What guy, you know, what, did he go through all the motions and condemn her? And don't you know, make sure you understand and you admit. He just began to minister to her and call her to, to life change through love and a careful ministry to the person and not just the sin. And we're involved with so many messed up people right now that if we just label people as a problem, God is not going to use us to reach them. Because weren't you a problem at one time? I mean, wasn't your life so messed up that you had no ability to change it? I mean, what, wasn't things so much out of your control that even in your mind you couldn't figure a way out? You, you couldn't... You, you even tried a few things and it just made things worse. But it was somewhere along the way you were introduced to the true love of God and Jesus Christ high and lifted up so that you would see the true change that he can do on the inside. And it wasn't some person pointing their finger at you and just, just blaming you for all your mistakes. You already knew you made them. But it was someone that introduced you to the love of God which introduced you to the sin of your life, which introduced you to the resolution of that issue in your life, the repentance of the sin, and then it introduced you to the power of God. We have to be tactful, church. We're not going to win anyone over to Jesus Christ, pointing fingers and getting up in their grill and reminding them how bad they are. They already know that. But love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't make excuses. Don't misunderstand me. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And I'm not advocating that we take a soft approach with the gospel or the gospel changes. Of course not. But seriously, love is evident. And we practice on one another. Love is evident in our lives. And you can't just be a know-it-all. Don't we all have know-it-alls in our lives? <laughs> I'm not going to ask for names right now. But there's just people that you're like, man, you, they know everything. There's just not one thing that they, they don't have an answer to. Or, and there's Bible know-it-alls, church know-it-alls. They just know everything about everything. And, and almost like they won't even admit they don't know that. And they're giving you the answer, and you're like, that's not even right. Yes, it is. It's like, <laughs> we don't want to be like that. Because what, what the world calls know-it-all, you know what the Bible calls it? Pride. <laughs> and I just love how... If we remain teachable, there's always something to learn. Especially when you're dealing with difficult people, there's something to learn. There's always something to learn about what happened and, and what about their lives and what's behind the, the, the layers of, of ugly and consequences and what's behind the person. Like, what, what is it? And how does God want to minister to them? How does God want to rescue them? How does God want to use his word? God uses those that are open and ready to be used. 
that are willing to pay the price of sacrifice. They're saved, they're flexible, they're full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, good reputation, faithful, teachable. Like God is gonna use you as you present yourself to him. You know, D.L. Moody was convinced, he was a great evangelist. Um, If you haven't read up on D.L. Moody, Google him and read some articles about the powerful work of evangelism through D.L. Moody. Uh, He was convinced that total surrender to God was the key to successful ministry. And it was only reinforced in the earlier years of his ministry when he heard a British evangelist say, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who's fully and wholly consecrated to him. Let me repeat that. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who's fully and wholly consecrated to him. And that night, Moody asked God to make him that man. He says, I want to be that man. I want to be that woman that is used by God, that he would do through me and for me and in me and by me to a world that needs to see an authentic representation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the world needs to see a true, authentic example of what love looks like. And it starts with us. It doesn't start with them, it starts with us. We're the ones here today. We're the ones that God had this message. And we go all the way back to 2 Kings 11 now, and it was just this married couple that understood where where they were in life and took the risk of risk whisking away Joash and then for six years waiting it out. Six years waiting it out, patiently waiting for the next step of God so that finally it's time and they present the king and here we are studying his life and the fruit of his life so many thousands of years later. Your life will make an indelible impact either for the kingdom of God or for the kingdom of the devil. It's your choice how you want to be used by God. So, Father, we want to be like D.L. Moody, that man uh, that you uh, have stirred us up to be, God, a heart that's aflame with the love of Jesus, that, that is tactful, that knows how to nuance you know, our, our answers, cares more about people than their problems, um, seeks ye first and your kingdom and your rulership, even above our own comfort and ease. And I pray for us as a church, as a society that is in a great time of prosperity, a great time of ease, a time where unemployment is at its lowest, more disposable income, and the challenges that are faced today are not hunger and thirst, but the housing prices and the interest rates and what kind of car do we get and what's the price of gas. And in these times of prosperity, God, we know that they're so much more dangerous than times of adversity. Where in prosperity, God, we we aren't crying out to you as much. We aren't dependent as much. Our prayer lives are stagnant. There's dust all over our scriptures. We're dealing with the problems instead of people. 
And I just pray you'd forgive us, God, so that in times of prosperity or in times of uh, more, like Paul said, or less, you would find faithful men and women in our church. Faithful men and women that would rise to the call to be available to you, to teach kiddos or to clean or to set food or um, to be equipped in our discipleship classes so they could share the gospel or they would commit to reading a book of the Bible once a month or a, a book on how to share the gospel or take our evangelism training classes or pray for a missionary every night or um, begin to support missions and begin to support um, church plants and who knows you, you're so diverse God but forgive us for settling back on being comfortable where that applies I pray for the young people here today listening to me the young people that are just in the beginning stages in the forming of their adult life would you give set their hearts aflame for the things of you God that you would be more important that as they are in technology and using all the tools of technology it would be for your glory as they get it man they, they understand how to use it they understand the, the language that Instagram speaks and they understand the language that Snapchat speaks so that they might harness it for the gospel of Jesus Christ they might use their influence in building relationships for the sake of the love of God in this world today and we're grateful, God, that you're inventing all these new technologies. And they're a little scary uh, of what their possibilities are. But, but, but man, it's always scary. Uh, it's always scary when you're doing and allowing something fresh and new to be happening. And it disrupts us. And so, you know, it, just like these guys that are inventing this stuff, um, our rank on believers, I pray that believers would invent some crazy things in this world for, the, for you, Lord. That, that believers would be involved in the cutting edge of science. They'd be involved in the cutting edge of technology, the cutting edge of healthcare, Lord, and nurses and doctors with the gift of mercy, dentists. I pray those, those that, that have the desire to, to drive a car or drive a truck or be a delivery person or a customer service, God, at every stage of this world, send us into and infiltrate a world that's dark with the bright light of the gospel. This is the day to decide. And just reaffirm in our hearts, God, what you've called us to do that we might be faithful. I pray, I, have a, I just have a burden tonight too, Lord, for the tired. Just some listening in, maybe they're here, maybe they're out on the radio, but they're tired. Because serving you is tiring. And maybe even weary. And maybe on the edge of burning out. Would you refresh them, Lord? Would you send times of refreshing into their lives? Would you remind them of the eternal impact they're making? Would you give them just a little glimpse? I know the rewards are going to be open in heaven, but would you just give them a little glimpse of how they're making a difference? Would you inspire a text message or a note or a reminder or a memory or one of those Facebook, um, you know, remember what you posted 10 years ago? And, and then it's just boom. I spend every night serving that family. Thank you, God, for the privilege. So I just pray for the weary tonight. I pray for the lost. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. And then just come up. You can pray right now. You can say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. 
And I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live and die for me. And I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I want to follow you from this day forward. And maybe you're a young person here tonight. You just need to affirm and dedicate your life to him. You're already saved, but you just have to verbalize, my life is yours, God. It's not my career. It's not my marriage, not my boyfriend, not my girlfriend. It's not what's going to happen next year. God, today I'm yours. Use me. Make me teachable. Make me available. Make me the man, the woman you want me to be. So, Lord, we are grateful that you'd meet us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.